are carrying on in our ser- series this morning um, in 1 Corinthians. Um, we're kind of going through the book, passage by passage, verse by verse, just to really draw out um, the, the very gold that God has for us in there, the little nuggets that we might miss when we're kind of skim reading it and going through it. We just want to pull out every little bit of advice and wisdom um, and history that could be beneficial for our walk as Christians today. Um, so we're going to be going through that. Usually Chuck, um, our lead pastor, gives them um, like really clever sermon series titles like Galatians was called to be free and John was life in his name but we've not got one for 1 Corinthians I'm not sure why so you could go away this week read 1 Corinthians from start to finish and come back with some suggestions for a kind of phrase that covers the whole book I don't know you can have a think about it Um, but today we're in chapter 1 verses 10 to 17 Um, last week uh, well a couple of weeks ago Taryn um, did uh, chapter 1 verses 1 to 9 um, and was talking about just the foundations Paul who wrote this letter to the Corinthians was talking about foundations for living as Christians what foundations can we put in place that are really beneficial for our walk and today he kind of changes and turn a wee bit and to give you a little bit of a background to this letter if you don't know what was going on Paul um, Paul must have felt like the worst plasterer in the world, is how I imagine Paul feels most of the time, um, because he starts something and then goes away and starts something else and the cracks appear, so he's back and he plasters over them and then he goes somewhere else and then cracks appear at another church. So the early church was a pretty challenging place for Paul and he must have felt like he was always just kind of filling cracks and helping people come back in. And so this is what's happening with the church in Corinth. He's founded it and 18 months later, cracks have started to appear and people are saying that oh, I want to follow this guy because he speaks the best or I follow this guy because he prays the best and they're starting to argue and niggle with one another. So Paul is sending this letter to be like, we need to be united. If there's one thing the church has to be that when people look at the church, they see from the outside, it is a united church. So we're going to read together 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 10 to 17. I'm just going to try and pull some of the stuff out here that we feel like Paul's saying and what God's speaking through him. And it's called, they kind of like title this section, A Church Divided Over Leaders. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our, sorry, just started, realise I've not given out Bibles. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles at the end of the rows there. If you just stick your hand up, somebody can pass the parcel of Bible along to you. Um, There's no music to stop, so just make sure it gets there. Um, So it's called A Church Divided Over Leaders. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gallius. So none of you can say you were baptized in my name. And then he says in brackets, yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. I love that Paul has a wee senior moment. (laughs) Can't quite recall, I may have done. (laughs) For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So we start in this passage with a really clear message from Paul to be united as a church. He's making a big deal about us being in harmony together and about that early church coming together and being under the same banner and not heading off immediately in lots of separate directions. He says that we are to be thinking and doing the same thing. 
united following Jesus. You see, the church in Corinth was starting to fracture and rally behind some different preachers. You know, one person was kind of saying, I want to follow Paul. Another person was saying, oh, well, I quite like Peter, so I'm going to follow him. And Apollos is my favorite. And they kind of started heading in little different directions. It almost felt as if that between them, they were starting to build up a little brick wall between each of the different sections who were saying, I like this guy the best, I like this guy the best. And then wrapping some barbed wire around it just to say, don't you come near my one. Like, you stay with your guy, I'll stay with my guy, that's fine. And that's what felt like was being built up. So Paul's really trying to address this. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. You see, it's a very clear message from Paul that division leads to destruction. That division in the church leads to the destruction of the church. And actually quarreling and bickering and arguing and backbiting are not going to lead anyone to follow Jesus. The unresolved arguments are not going to bring anyone closer to God. But actually unity, united in love, and in peace, and an understanding of a following of Jesus, that is where people see Jesus. I don't know if any of you have ever um, seen the movie Remember the Titans. Hands up if you've seen Remember the Titans. A few people. Remember the Titans is, is a, a movie based around American football, and it's about um, a true story, um, based around a true story about a coach called Herman Boone. Um, and Herman Boone was a, an African-American coach who went to an African-American um, school that had merged um, with a local school that was predominantly white people um, in Virginia. Um, and so there was this clash of cultures came together in this one school. Um, a lot of racial tension, a lot of hatred, a lot of um, just not nice things going on. And he was brought in to coach their football team. Um, and right from the start, um, because he was African-American, like people from the, the sort of school that was predominantly white wanted to get rid of him straight away. Board members were flinging stones through his windows. The team refused to play with one another. They said, I'm not playing with him and I'm not going to play with him. And it all just kicked off. And he was told, if you lose one game this season, if you lose even one game, we will fire you on the spot. That is what we're going to do. And so he sets to work and he starts working out how on earth do I bring this team together? So he forces them to live together in dorms. He forces them to work together, to study together. And he says, if you're going to play on my team, you're going to play by my rules. And so he forces all these people who are kind of saying that they hate one another to start doing life together. And in their pre-season, they lose a couple of games, but they start building friendship. Anyway, the story goes that they, they start to work together as a team and they start to get together. And the first day of the season, they win their first game and then they win the second game the third game and they go through the whole season undefeated um sorry if you're planning on watching it kind of ruined it a little bit there for you should have put out a spoiler alert but the thing was that he found a way of uniting people on the field and the repercussions of that were huge in their city racial hatred and racial tension started to break down because they saw on the field people working together and that this was something that didn't have to be a divide amongst them actually unity was the key they won big because they were united together. But actually, if they'd gone out there on the first day of the season and they'd said, I'm not going to pass to you because you're not the same color as me. I'm not going to play with you because I don't like you. They would have fallen at the first hurdle and none of their potential would have been realized. And it's with this kind of urgency that Paul is contacting the church in Corinth. He sees amazing potential in the church in Corinth 
to be the hope of that city. He sees the potential for them to set people free by telling them of Jesus' love. But you know what? He also sees the potential for the whole thing to fall apart at the very first hurdle. People were beginning to bicker and quarrel among themselves, you know, saying, who's the best preacher? Who's this guy? It's Apollos. It's Paul. I like to think of them having like... um, trying to set up in the Colosseum some sort of style of preach-off, like a wrap-off, where they got kind of Paul in, Peter in, and maybe Apollos in, and they sort of spat their biblical rhythms. It's <laughs> like, yeah, grace, boom, take that. Um, but that's what they were starting to do. They were starting to kind of get behind people and push one person when actually what they needed to be doing was going behind Jesus, every one of them, with Jesus, united in Jesus, united in his love. Because Jesus called his church to be something different. You know, up until this point in history, all people had seen when they looked at Christianity, and in fact, any religion up until that point, was war and infighting and backbiting and backstabbing. But Jesus said, you have to be something different. You know, in John 17, verse 20 to 23, Jesus says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And again, in the Old Testament, David talks about the power of unity. He says this in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of Aaron. And then it goes on and it says, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. And it's clearly a message that we are to take heed of. You know, we're not to judge each other And not to look at each other by saying, well, what do you think? I like this bit. I like these guys. And and this denomination is my favorite. But actually, you can like that denomination. We'll just never talk. That's okay. Because Jesus is here for a united church. One son for one church. Jesus didn't come to just save a few of us. Or just save most of us. Or just save 99%. He came to save every single person on this planet. That was his mandate. One savior for one church so what that means is that he came for traditional Christians he came for modern Christians he came for charismatic Christians he came for Baptists he came for brethren he came for all denominations that is what unites us as a church we are to be united under Jesus' banner And so what that means for us is that we are called to unity and what that means is that in church Following on from what Chuck said last week, we cannot leave arguments and differences unresolved. We cannot let anger and disappointment and hatred bubble away under the surface, under under a, a, a sort of false pretense that everything's okay. We need to be people who are quick to forgive because we will quickly need forgiveness ourselves. We have to keep short accounts with one another, but it also means that we have to partner with other churches. We need to partner with other churches to show Christ's unity in this city. 
One of my favorite times of the month is when I gather with the other pastors from this area to pray once a month and hear about what's going on at the other churches that are around about our area. It's such a special thing. And we're really working hard to work out how do we partner together as churches in this area so that people see a united church when they look at our church. Not a church that argues and disagrees and fights with one another, but a united church. So we have to be careful also how we talk about other churches because it's not okay to slate other churches because they do something different. You know, it's not okay because one church uses an organ and one church uses a band to say that their church is rubbish because we are all Jesus' church. So we're called to be united under his banner. Secondly, it's not a pick and mix gospel. Paul goes on to talk about how we can't just pick and choose the bits of Jesus' message that we want. We can't go in and take the bits that we like and the bits that are really easy for us to follow and then kind of push away some of the more challenging stuff and say, you know what, I'll come back to that. I'll maybe think about that another time. Jesus' message to us is a full message. The gospel is a whole package. If you're going to be a Jesus follower, we have to follow every bit of teaching and advice and wisdom that he gave to us. It says this in the passage, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says I follow Paul, another Apollos, another I follow Cephas, and still another I follow Christ. And then this is the three words that jumped out at me. Is Christ divided? Question mark. I absolutely love those three words and they're almost hidden away in the passage. It's one of those little sentences you could so easily skim over in a hurry to get to the end of the passage. But what Paul is really saying here is, can I just choose the bits of Jesus that I want? Can I chop up his ministry, his wisdom, his advice and just pick and choose what I want from it? And the answer obviously is no. We're called to be followers of Jesus and that means we're called to be all in, sold out, followers of him um, we have recently been having um, a bit of car bother anyone sympathize with the car bother anyone else having a bit of car bother recently seems to be most people have a bit of car bother now and again um, it all started a month ago our timing chain snapped if you are a car owner that is possibly one of the most horrendous things that can ever happen to your car um, timing chain for those of you like me who didn't have a clue what a timing chain was until a month ago is the bit that makes all the engine the engine the engine the engine running time so it makes everything go in at the right order and the right place and all that kind of stuff and if it goes everything then has its own mind so it just starts firing off in all different directions and pretty much like just causes havoc in your engine so it went in and it wrecked a whole load of stuff um, and then we had to just get a whole load of stuff changed in the car we had to change little bits and pieces because this bit wasn't working and then because that had broken another bit wasn't working and another bit and we had to change a whole load of stuff because an engine is only an engine when every part of the engine is working. An engine only reaches its full potential when every part is working the way it should be. So if you have a piston that's not firing properly, your engine is underperforming. You've not got the whole power of the engine. If you have no oil in your engine, you will very quickly break your engine. If you have something else that's not working, it isn't gonna work and it just becomes a pile of useless metal if enough bits of it stop working. Our Christian faith is like an engine you have to have every part of it working in order for it to be working in the full potential of your walk. You can't pick and choose that you want the pistons, but you don't want the oil. That you want, you know, the ignition, I'm going to struggle to get more bits of engineer, the ignition coil, but not the metal thing, I don't know. 
It's only an engine when you've got the whole engine. And it's, you're only a follower of Jesus when you're sold out following everything that he says. You can't just pick and choose the bits that you like. Um, I love it. Relevant magazine, which is a kind of Christian, I think it's probably aimed at youth. I kind of cling on to it to hold on to my youth. But they recently published an article that was, said, that was called The Eight Things We Wish Jesus Had Never Said. Those eight things were these. Number one, that I'm blessed when I'm persecuted for my beliefs. Number two, that I've cheated on my wife when I check out attractive women. Number three, that I can't love God and money at the same time. Number four, do not worry. Number five, why did you doubt? Number six, take sin seriously. Number seven, pay your taxes and your tithes. And number eight, love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. See, Paul is making it really clear here that if we are going to be followers of Jesus, we have to follow him completely. We can't pick and mix our favorite bits of his teachings. And it's not just so that we have this list of rules that dulls our lives down and gives us a bit of a boring standpoint. You know, it's not just so we can all become dull, monotonous Christians. You know, we look at those Christians and we say, oh, they're so boring. Like, their lives are just governed by rules. That's not the point in it at all. The point in us following all of Jesus' teaching is that when we follow his teaching completely, that is when we get the life to the full that he talks about in John 10.10. That is when we experience life to the full. Because I want to let us all in on a wee secret that I've discovered this morning. We actually don't know what's best for ourselves. (laughs) You might not believe that, but I think that's true. Certainly for me. Um, but I assume it's true for most of us that we do not know what is best for ourselves. We might think that we do. We might think that we're very wise um, and very clever and very um, great at sorting things out. But I tell you what, God knows a hundred times better what is good for you than you do. You see, some of these tougher things that Jesus teaches are actually incredibly important in our day-to-day walk with him. You know, for instance, like, you might think that nobody gets hurt when you have a sneaky glance at someone in a kind of lustful way. You might think that nobody gets hurt from that. But actually, that is the start of a heart attitude that if you don't keep in check, leads to lust taking over your decision making. It leads you down a path where actually God's choices for you go out the window and your choices for you that benefit you take pride of place at the center of everything. That's not life to the full. And like our finances as well, we're called to give our finances over to God, to surrender to him, to call our money his money. And that was something that I fought so hard when I first became a Christian. I was like, you just want my money. Like, that's why I'm here. You just want to take my money off me. And so I didn't do it. I didn't give money for ages when I first became a Christian. And I fought it and I fought it. And eventually... I felt like I couldn't do it anymore and I started to give a little bit of money away each month and then God just helped break down my heart attitude about it because actually when we give our money to God's church, amazing things happen. You can buy yourself any amount of fancy things, clothes, cars, houses, PlayStation games, Kath Kidston products, whatever your thing is, you can buy it. But do you know what? Nothing is going to satisfy more than knowing your money is going towards God's kingdom. Nothing is going to satisfy more than knowing that when you give to this church, orphans are being saved and 
in Kids Club Kampala, like over there, like they're doing an amazing work that babies are being saved. In Kenya as well, that babies are being taken in off the streets and being saved. That in our city, people are being fed, that people are being looked after, that people are being provided with clothes and sleeping bags and all the things to get them through when, they need, when they're having a bit of a tough time. And that only happens because of the generosity of what we do. It sounds like a tough thing to surrender your finances to God, but honestly, nothing will satisfy you more than seeing your money used for kingdom purposes. So we're called to follow Jesus in everything because we're not called to be part of this world. We're not called to be just in this world because his kingdom is not of this world. We're not called to just strive for worldly things. In John 18, 36, he says this, um, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Paul wants to make it absolutely clear that if we want life to the full, we have to be willing to leave stuff behind. It's a funny concept, that, isn't it? Because the world tells us that life to the full is filling up our world with as much stuff as we can. But actually, Jesus flips that on his head and he says, leave behind as much stuff as you can. Give away as much stuff as you can. Get rid of as much stuff as you can because that is life to the full. Be generous with what I've given you. So we're called to not pick and choose the bits of Jesus' gospel that suit us most, but actually to be wholehearted, sold out followers of Jesus and all that he teaches us. And finally, we don't need to dress up the cross. We look at the end of this passage and it's almost the last words that Paul says. And I've read this bit of the Bible hundreds of times and I've, I've never really clocked this bit before. Um, but he says this in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And then this wee bit. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And I think you can look at that in one of two ways. The first way is very obviously like, do not use fancy words and, and eloquent phrases and all those things to try and impress people into a relationship with Jesus because it doesn't work like that. But the second way that I think you can look at it that I think is incredible is that this is an open invitation to everyone that you are a kingdom carrier and a kingdom taker, that everyone gets to play, that everyone gets to take his kingdom, that everyone takes part because you don't need fancy words because you don't need to be a perfect prayer, because you don't need to be the holiest of holies for God to use you. Actually, he's not interested in you fancying up the gospel, because he says here, when you do things to fancy up my gospel, that points people towards you and not me, and he's not interested in that. I don't know about you, um, well, I don't know about you. I don't know if many of you know this, um, but I was a school captain of my secondary school in Glasgow. Very proud of it. I know what you're thinking. School captain of a school in Glasgow is like being the school captain as being the captain of Titanic. Um, but it wasn't. It was a very prestigious role. Um, I was very, um, very proud of my moments as captain. But to become captain, we had to go through a kind of rigorous process. So you had to be nominated by pupils. And then once you've been nominated by pupils, you had to get teachers who would support your cause as the captain that they would choose and then after that you kind of gave a wee speech detailing why you would be the best captain and why you thought you would bring sort of glory and honor to the school through your captainship and then after that the staff and the pupils all voted to say who they thought was going to be the worthy person to represent their school you know as their school captain and 
There is no backup captains or reserve captains. There was just the school captains. And it was quite an honour. But it took a lot to get there. And I guess for us, Christianity sometimes can feel like running for school captaincy. We look around us and we say, oh, they're so much better at speaking than I ever will be. What's the point? Or they pray out loud with really cool words and really fancy prayers. And my prayers will never be as impressive as that, so I'm just not going to bother. Or I see them out doing amazing works, you know, in other countries, and they're so brave and so courageous, and that could never be me. So what's the point in trying? But the secret is this morning that God has given you his vote, where you need to be voted to become a captain. God has already given each and every one of us his vote of worthiness, his stamp of authenticity on us being kingdom carriers because everyone gets to play. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. You see, when it becomes about us, it takes away from Jesus. It's not about how great we are, but it's about how great he is. It's not about how great we are, but it's about how great he is. Our main job above everything else that we do is to introduce people to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And again, in the Old Testament, he promises to go with Jeremiah, who we would consider one of the most confident and bold people in the Bible. He's well known thousands of years later. But God had to say this to him, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall, be, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So what does that mean for us today? Well, what that means is that some of us will be sitting here today and have been sitting here for a while thinking, I am not worthy of doing this thing. I'm not going to benefit anyone with what I have to bring. What I have to bring is rubbish. And that is a lie. It's just an out and out lie. And we need to recognize that this morning. You know, some of us will be sitting here thinking, I can't pray out loud because my prayers are rubbish and I don't even know what words to use. Do you know what? Just praying thank you, God, is more than enough. More than enough. And some of us will be sitting looking around thinking, I can't sing as well as the guys in the band or I can't, you know, preach God's word. I can't do any of that stuff. But it's just rubbish because you know what? God has created you to be exactly who you are for exactly where he's placed you. You are the perfect person to bring the people that God has set ahead of you into relationship with him. Have you ever thought about that? That actually you are the one that he's put aside for some people on this planet that you will walk them into a journey with Jesus. And nobody else will be better for that person than you will be. I just think that's incredible. So don't worry about having fancy words. Don't worry about being the perfect person because Jesus is calling each of us to just go and do it. Because it's not about us. It's about us being filled with his Holy Spirit and his power and taking him to our communities, to our workplaces, to our friends, to our families, to the people who just desperately need to know him. And you're the perfect person. It's amazing. So we're called to be a united church. We're called to follow Jesus completely. 
And we're all called to do that. We're all called to take his gospel. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together.